0: And if you're wondering on my shirt, yes, this is a picture of Michael Jordan playing golf. Is that Michael Jordan playing golf? It is. It is. Listen, I gotta represent. Y'all feeling good? New Year's starting off okay? Come on, 9:30. Don't let 11:15 outdo you. 9:30 is the hype service. I need some help preaching. I said, are you doing okay? New Year's starting off. All right. This is going to be a great day in the house of God. I feel uh, inspired. I feel like God has been speaking to me. And we're going to jump in the word today. This year, here, here's the thing. We, we've, we're in this series made for this. But this year, I really believe that God is going to give you uh, a passion and revelation from his word. I feel like we're going to be, uh, this pastor said, what is one of the things you want to see happen in the congregation? And I said, I, I want them to know the word. Because the Bible says the word is alive, powerful, and active, able to divide between soul and spirit. What does that mean? That means that our soul is our, our thinking, our, our, our will, our ability to make decisions, and our emotions, how we feel. And, and literally our entire life can be ruined if we make bad decisions, if we're not thinking correctly, or our emotions take over and we're unable to follow God. So the Bible says what the word of God does, it divides soul and spirit. Now, just so you know, because you're a human, what's in your soul never wants to do what God wants to do. Never. The Bible says the flesh never wants to do what God wants to do. But when you believe in Jesus, your spirit is immediately made alive. So Christianity isn't bad people becoming good. It is dead people becoming alive. And it is in your spirit that you're able to receive what God wants for you. So that's why it says we walk in the spirit. We don't don't walk in the flesh, we walk in the spirit. So when you hear the word of God, especially if you're a believer who's been made alive by faith in Jesus, then the Bible says that the word of God divides soul and spirit, which means it's able to help you figure out, is this me or is this God? One of the biggest questions people have when they're trying to hear from something from God is, is this me or is this God? And the way you know if this is me, soul, or God, spirit, is that the word divides soul and spirit, which means without the word, your soul and spirit gets mixed together and you don't know which is which. So when you're going on a date and you say, I think this is the one God has for me, if you haven't been in your word, that could be your soul and you think it's the spirit. But if you've been in your word, you'll be like, no, no, no. I know the difference. Somebody say, I know the difference. And so um, I want to make sure that, that we are uh, really engaging in God's word. So here's my challenge to you. Anytime you hear a sermon here, I want you to go home and read that scripture for yourself. Does that make sense? It's so important. E- eagles are fed by the parent eagle. The parent eagle goes and catch the food and they go drop it into the nest. But as eagles grow up and learn to fly, they have to catch their own food. The Bible says that the word of God is the bread of life. And so every day I want to challenge you to catch your own food as a mature believer. Does that make sense? But in the meantime, I am going to preach the word. Somebody say amen. Amen. Genesis 18 verses 16 through 33. I'll give you time to turn your, your Bibles there. And if you weren't here last week, I gave a little bit of a recap of Vision Sunday where we have just titled it simply for memory, made for this. But what happened was when I became a pastor, I was given a baseball bat. This was in 2015, July of 2015. And on the baseball bat had a scripture from Genesis, uh, Genesis 41, 26, I believe, where it talked about seven years of favor and seven years of famine. And so I began a journey walking with God and, I, and, and obviously became the lead pastor of the church. And it was a really tough seven years Uh, One that ended in uh, two and a half years of a global pandemic, global financial meltdown. But a lot of good things happened in that seven years. So I was never sure if that seven years was the famine or the favor because a lot of good things happened, but a lot of bad things. Come on, a lot of bad things. And so it wasn't that I didn't have faith for either. It was just that if that was the season of favor, that was so difficult. I didn't know if I could do the famine. And so what I really believe the Lord confirmed to me is that we are walking into seven years of God's favor, specifically for those who are aligned with God. What does that mean? There's going to be this outpouring, this harvest, this unbelievable thing. And I saw the harvest happening in three specific areas. One, there was going to be a harvest of righteousness, meaning that God's character was going to permeate everything you do, everything you think about, everything you believe. And then following that, there would be this harvest of increase in wisdom and salvations, and many would come to the Lord. And so we're gonna be unpacking this vision for seven years. Now, some of you may be here for all seven years and some of you may not. I wanna encourage you if God takes you somewhere else or should you end up somewhere else to continue to engage in these sermons because I believe God has anointed me to prepare you for what he has for you. Most people don't get what God has for them over a lack of preparation. I was talking to a parent, my son was playing basketball and um, she noticed like he had this uh, star quality. She was like, I don't know, your your son just has this thing. Have you ever thought about getting him in acting? And I said, no. And she says, why not? He's a star. I said, because I've never seen him want to do anything about acting in private. So I don't want to prop him up in front of people when in private he has no desire In basketball, he practices in private, so I'm willing to let his gift go public because I've seen what he does in private when no one is watching. I only let my son do what he does when no one is watching. I will allow other people. Maybe God works the exact same way. So who you are is who you are in private, not public. We all know how to turn it on on the first date. Come on, somebody. We all know how to turn it on. But who you are, If you're offended at somebody right now, who you are when someone upsets you is who you are. Not when someone's being nice, not when someone's doing all the things that you want them to do. When someone makes you mad, your reaction is who you are. I know who Christ is. I know Christ is a good man because when they were spitting on him and hanging him on a cross, he was like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So there's just going to be this harvest of righteousness where you will not allow other people to change who you are. You're going to be consistent in your integrity, consistent in your character, even when other people are letting you down. I want to read this passage from Genesis 18, uh, verse 16 through 33, because it's about a man named Abraham. I've been on Abraham recently. You're going to hear a few passages of scripture from Abraham, because Abraham was the first person in the Bible where God said, I'm going to give you righteousness on credit. Anybody got a credit card? Make some noise. Anybody got a rush card. It's just maybe that rush card. You ain't even, you had to preload it. Times is hard. Noah was called righteous because of Noah's behavior. Abraham was called righteous because of his faith. And so God said, I'm going to put literally an account and I'm going to fill it with righteousness because of what you believe. And so Abraham at this point had already had his encounter with God. God had already declared him righteous in the heavens. And Abraham in this verse encounters an unrighteous city uh, called Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of us heard this story, and it is preached absolutely wrong in my humble opinion. Uh, But we're going to give it a try. Uh, Genesis 18, 16 through 33, it says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. These men that we're talking about are angels of the Lord. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord, who was getting ready to destroy the city over unrighteousness, he was getting ready to destroy the city over unrighteousness. How many people, if God gave you a revelation about the unrighteousness of Los Angeles and would say, I'm getting ready to destroy Los Angeles because of its unrighteousness. How many of you would say, that makes sense. <laughs> you are trapped In the coils of religion, if that's what you would say. I'm getting ready to destroy, think of another city that comes to mind. Get ready to destroy San Bernardino. I was like, Lord, it's about time. People are tripping. So the Lord said, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. Seeing that Abraham surely became, uh, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Oh my God, I feel like preaching. This is what he said I'm not gonna hide from Abraham the destruction that I'm getting ready to do to a city, because that destruction does not include him. He's going to be blessed. But I'm not going to hide from him the people that I'm going to destroy because he's good. Can you imagine God saying, I'm going to destroy Los Angeles except for you? And everybody in your family is going to be good. And everybody in your, matter of fact, 3,000 years from now, your descendants will still be blessed because of your faith in me. But this city over here, this political party over here, these people over here, I'm done with them. How many people in this room would go, Lord, I get it. I'm glad me and you are good, but they got to go. They got to go. Come on. Anybody wish death on their enemies in the last week? Make some noise. I don't even know if you love people and see until you how I see how you interact with your enemies. The Bible says, pray for and bless your enemies. The Bible says we were enemies of God and God sent his one and only son to save his enemies. Y'all were not the homies when he died for you. Matter of fact, fake says the Bible, any man would die for another good man. We got to stop telling people that Jesus just died for us because we can start to relate to that and say, I would die for my kids. I would die for this person. But would you die for that person who owes you five grand and said, they're going to pay you back three times. And they got the death penalty. And you told the judge, not them, me. This is the gospel that Christ was sent for God's enemies as a sacrifice to now make God's enemies, God's friends through faith. Talk about righteousness. So here's Abraham and God's going, hey, I got to talk to Abraham. Abraham's my God. Abraham's that dude. Abraham, he is him, whatever these young people are always saying. Abraham is the man. So let me tell Abraham that I love him. His family's good. But that city over there that is living in sin, they got to go. They got to go. That's what God says in the SBV, the San Bernardino international version. That He says they got to go. They got to go. But you're good. You're good. Anybody in here good? Are you good? Like, cause honestly, I I think when we're good, we tend to just wish other people would be good. Matter of fact, if you are obsessed, not with the salvation of the unrighteous, but that the unrighteous would become righteous. I don't even know if you're righteous. Because Abraham got this revelation from God and God says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Doesn't that sound like favor? When I say that God is releasing favor In this church and in this city and for believers, I'm telling you the truth, but some people have gotten so far outside of God's favor that while you're getting a revelation of the favor you have, you'll get a revelation of the destruction someone else is going through and God's going to reveal it to you. And what are you going to do? Say that they deserve it. Well, that's what happens when you don't follow God. That's what happens when you ain't in his word. Abraham didn't say any of that. God continues to speak life over Abraham and says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Oh my God. Doing the right thing is not about making God happy. It's about preparing for what God wants to bring to you. I feel like throwing this binder already. You know, we need laws that honor God. No, no, no. We don't need laws that honor God. You cannot dishonor God. God is God. The Bible says the rocks will cry out and worship him if you don't. We don't need laws that honor God. We need rules that prepare God's people for what God has for them. That's why he gave them the law to get them ready. Not so that he would be happy. And so he says, I'm I'm, I'm giving these things. Abraham, I want you to. To do righteousness and justice. And by the way, can I redefine for you the biblical definition of justice? It is not when a cop gets arrested for killing someone. That's not justice. That's earthly justice. Justice for the orphan, the widow. Justice is what we do for the person who was hurt. So if if someone gets killed by a cop, justice is not the cop getting arrested. Justice is when we come around that person's family and make sure their kids still go to college and make sure their kids still have father figures in their life. That's biblical justice is what we do for the victim, not sitting back. Some of us have confused justice with judgment. Judgment is on a day. Justice Justice is the calling of God's people. to to release justice, do the right thing for those being harmed. Not the one, not punishment for the harmer, but 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 kindness and restoration for those who are being harmed. So when we bring justice to the city of Los Angeles, we're not trying to make sure bad people get in trouble. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be accountability, but that's not biblical justice. We're making sure the victims have hope, the victims have food, the victims have a place to live. We're going after the homeless. That's justice. We're going after the people who don't have fathers. We're coaching basketball teams and football teams. That's justice. That's justice. And all of this is so that the Lord can bring to Abraham what was promised. So you got to understand this about righteousness. You got to understand this so we can stop posting about culture and this nation when they don't obey God. Please, it's not biblical. The promise comes before the law. The promise comes before. God will speak a promise over your life and then talk to you about your righteousness. And I have never seen a person living righteous the right way that isn't holding on to a promise. The reason why I'm trying to live a righteous life is because what God has told me he's going to give to me. And my righteousness prepares for me to be able to deal with the blessing. Without righteousness, God's blessings will ruin you. Am I preaching to somebody today? I want you to understand this, that God's people were in Egypt. In the Old Testament, God didn't give them one commandment, not one rule, not one regulation, not one character issue. He just got them out of a bad situation and promised them a good one. And then after he promised them a good one, he gave them laws and rules and acts of righteousness to do so that they would live a long time in the place of promise. So the law and the righteous acts were a bridge between slavery and the promised land. It's how they got there. This is a beautiful thing about God. And so we're unpacking this because this is the type of righteousness that Abraham was seeking God to have. But listen in verse 20, when God reveals to Abraham what he's gonna do to the unrighteous people. He says, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grave, I will go down there to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Abraham got a revelation. Abraham got two key revelations. I want you to catch this. The first revelation he got was that he was good with God. You're good. Your family's good. You're about to be balling. You're about to have money. You know, to do every country club, golf courses, whatever you want to do, my brother, you know, tee off on hole number one with the finest club. You good, brother. These people are not good. You're good. And Abraham says, suppose you could find 50 righteous people in the city. Would everybody be good? Did you hear what I just said to you? He said, would you destroy a whole city? Abraham starts standing in the gap. He starts interceding for them. He starts saying, this city had thousands of people in it. He says, God, if I could get, it's almost as if Abraham was willing to move into the city. Because if I'm there, then God's going to save the city. We got to stop telling people not to move to Los Angeles because it's such a bad place. What about if we just said, no, I'm in the city of Los Angeles so God can save the whole city. With How many people do we have to do a count in this room? There's enough people in this room to save the city of Los Angeles. If we are willing to go deeper into righteousness. So did Abraham call out the sin? Or did he dive deeper in personal righteousness? Here's the revelation I want you to have. You've taken nothing from this. When you see a world full of sin, when you see people not obeying God, when you see people, you go deeper with God. Not call them out. You go deeper. Matter of fact, can I rephrase that? You go higher. Because as prophets, we don't call people out. We call people up. I've been with God. I've seen God. So let me call you up higher to a life that is higher than the one you are living. Because you will find most people who are living that life are in a low place. And how would they listen to you if you're just as low as them? Complaining just like they do. (laughs) Offended like just like they are. Mad just like they are. But no, Abraham dealt with the righteous. And then he keeps going. I want to feel like Abraham started counting when he said that. He's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh snap! And he couldn't get to fifty. <laughs> He's like, this city is trifling. I can't find fifty people. And when he couldn't find fifty people, he didn't say, "Well, Lord, we tried. Go ahead and strike them down." You know what he said? Far for it. For you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous people in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. He started calling himself dust and ashes. Now he's getting scared. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Abraham, who was good, did not try to up the standard of the city. He lowered the standard to God. Lord, I know I said 50. You start scratching when you, you, Lord, I know I said 50. But your boy did a head count. I don't know if we're going to come up with 50. You've been somewhere recently in LA and you've had to do a head count of the righteous. and You ain't going to come up with 50. He said, how about 45? And, and the Lord said, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. Put verse 29 on the screen because Abraham did another count. Uh, <laughs> suppose 40. <laughs> How about 40, Lord? Come on, hook your boy up. And he answered, you know what, Abraham? For 40, I will not do it. We've gotten down. This is a city with thousands of people, and we've gone down from 50 or 40 to 40 because Abraham is asking. He's obsessed with the salvation of people, not the holiness of people, the salvation of people. And anybody really saved increases in their holiness. God, this is incredible. And then he said in verse 30, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He was coming down in increments of five. And now he's like, I just need to drop 10. These people are tripping. 30, 30, 30 righteous, 30 righteous in the city, 30 righteous in the city. Who, who didn't move because California is too, too, too tough. They, they stayed. They didn't move to where things are more conservative and things are more godly. No, no. These 30 people are in the city believing that God's going to save the city because their righteousness is holding up the city, which means that character stops things from getting destroyed. If something in your life is getting destroyed, I want you to check your character or the people around you. Because it's typically character that brings things down. Either the people around you or you. So righteousness must be held up as a sustainer of good things. Because he's saying, if I can find 30 people trying to follow God, and he says, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord again, suppose 20. And then he said in verse 32, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. I got to go for it one more time because I keep looking, and this city's doing so bad. And he says, Suppose 10 are found there, he said, and for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. How many of us know how this story ended? Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And how many people of us have heard that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed over the sin of the people? No, it was destroyed because he couldn't find 10 righteous people. The standard got lowered so low. 10. 10. When are we gonna stop complaining about culture and the world and start saying, is there anybody in the city who's willing to intercede? who's willing to push their character beyond the bounds of what anyone else could do. And then because of that character and relationship with God, ask God in relationship to save the city. Do you know the Bible says that sin came through one man? Adam destroyed all of humanity. So the next time you're on the news, the next time you see something crazy, just just like say, Adam You did us so dirty, bro. Adam, man, like, just just speak to him. He's in heaven. Bruh. Next time, don't say, this culture, this, this culture has just gotten so out of hand. No, Adam, look what you did to humanity. But it says in Romans that through Adam, sin came and killed a bunch of people. But through one man, righteousness came. And that one man Was Jesus. And do you know the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam? So metaphorically, you know what the church is? The third Adam. I feel like I'm going to throw this binder off. Which means that we're supposed to create favor so expansive through seeking God that people who don't even want to follow God Stumble into our favor and they realize who gave it to us. We invite, we have favor enough to invite the city into it. I'm believing Oasis is going to have so much favor, we'll be able to invite the city into the favor that God has given us. But it takes for us to tell God, Lord, if I'm following you, will you save someone who isn't? We were having this conversation with some friends of ours and they were talking about how. Uh, very few people come to God before the age of 18. I mean, after age of 18, the the list goes down. It's like 80-something percent of all people who find Jesus find Jesus before the age of 18. Why? Because their parents took them to church. But after 18, the odds that you would, I I got radically saved at 30. The odds that I would be radically saved at 30 is like 4% or 2%. But the common denominator of every single person that I have met that got saved after 18 is not that they went to church. It's that they encountered one person who became absolutely obsessed with their salvation. My wife had that person. I had that person. I had a person who would not stop until I was saved. I I stopped coming to the Bible study because I was smoking weed. And one time I went to the to Connect Group. There's a Bible study at church. I went to the Connect Group High in 20, 2010. And I knew how to not look high. And I walked in there. I've told this story before. I, I walked in there. I had my hoodie on. And I'm like, I, I, this is what I do. I know how to not look high. He ain't going to be able to tell high. After Connect Group, he pulled me aside. He said, you high? Say, said, yep. My bad. Next week, I didn't come back to the group. Because he had called me out. So I didn't come back. And I didn't come back because I was trying to honor that was wrong. So I'm not going to come back. I, at the time, I didn't know how to stop. It was I didn't know how to stop, so I, I didn't come back. He called me. I didn't miss group. He said, where were you? I said, oh, man, I, I wasn't trying to disrespect the group, man, and I... I, was, I wasn't gonna smoke today because it was Monday and then I ended up, you know, boy up doing a little something. He says, oh, I wasn't meaning you didn't come to the group. I just want to know if you was high. I just wanted to know what the Lord was doing. God has called you. I don't care if you're high, cracked out of your mind. You gotta come to this Bible study. God is using you. And I showed up. And he gave me his Bible college homework. And he, he helped me understand who God was. This man was obsessed with me growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And the more I grew in the knowledge of the Lord, I didn't, I didn't stop smoking because weed was bad. I stopped smoking because God was good. I had a revelation. But I had someone completely obsessed. Look at this passage of scripture. Abraham was completely obsessed with the city being saved. So much so, he brought God down from 50 to 10. I want a relationship like that with God Where God's getting ready to bring justice on someone. And I said, no, Lord, they good in my book. And God says, okay, Julian, because you prayed for them. We have to understand what righteousness means. And we have to deeply desire it and stop expecting it from other people. Because if you don't have an area in your life currently that you are asking God to address your unrighteousness, your unrighteousness is pride. If the last 10 things you have said have been about what other people are doing and not yourself, your unrighteousness is pride. It is. If you can recognize what everyone else is doing wrong and you don't know, and you haven't apologized to someone else in six months, it's pride. You have to understand what righteousness means. And and righteousness isn't the things that make God happy. You have to understand that God doesn't need anyone to make him happy. He's complete within himself. If you do a Bible study on righteousness, righteousness means is as a couple different meanings. I'm going to uh, several, but I'm going to read a few of them. It's fulfillment of the expectations in a relationship. So for a relationship to work, it needs righteousness. It needs righteousness. And so many times we think that relationships work off improvement. No, they work on. They also, they do work on that, but they work on righteousness. No, no, no woman in here is going to be married to a man that cheats on them with, with two girls and say, and and allow them to say, well, it used to be 10 I'm down eight. I don't know why you tripping. Are you not acknowledging my improvement? You're not going to deal with that. And if you say, nah, two is, well, you, you just stepped into religion. No, relationships, deep ones, especially when you're not doing that. So when you're not doing anything wrong, you have the right to up and expect that from someone else in a relationship. That's what it is. Another uh, uh, definition of it, Is is bringing your life into order under God, which in, in the Hebrew culture and Jewish culture was always believed to bring prosperity. So when they were believing prosperity, when they were believing for blessings, they brought their whole life into order under what God wanted them to do. Another word for it is justice. And I think we have this word in our culture that everybody's doing called deconstruction. A lot of people are doing it. And you notice no one deconstructs the good things out of the Bible. They deconstruct all the rules, all the discipline. No one says, I don't know about this blessing stuff. We all want that. We, and I don't know about this prosperity stuff. I don't know about. No, what they deconstruct is God's way of doing things. But listen to what God says. And this is where pride lives the most because you will read scriptures in the Bible you do not understand. But listen to what God said to Job about this in Job 40 verses one through eight. He says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You were God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already because he was complaining about the way God was moving. I have nothing more to say. And then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, brace yourself like a man. Oh my God because I have some questions for you. I'll be so scared. And you must answer them. Listen to verse eight. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? That's deconstruction where you try to say something bad about God because you don't want to be wrong. So we got to take that part out. Another thing we have to understand about righteousness is why does God give us standards of righteousness? And growing up, can I be honest? I thought that God gave standards of righteousness to make other Christians happy. Oh my God. The, 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 the weight and the guilt and the shame that many Christians would put on other people. they tell you not to have sex before marriage. And when you did, they'd drag you up in front of the whole church and embarrass you and humiliate you and make you repent to, to the church. Not to God, to the church. And there's a place for accountability. But I'm saying when I was growing up, I was worried about making Christians mad. Isn't it interesting that my biggest fear, my biggest concern is never how I'm making God feel. It's how I make other believers feel. The people who have expressed the most anger or frustration with me in the time I've been a pastor has not been God, and it hasn't been unbelievers, it's been Christians. Those are people who get mad at me. I feel like there might be some people from the church on judgment day like, don't let them in. I'm like, dang, man, I tried my best. You make a Christian mad so quick. Ready to send somebody to hell. Ready to tell people who's going to hell and who ain't. got to tell you, you're going to see people in hell that, well, you're not going to see them there, but hopefully not. But I'm saying, <laughs> what I meant to say, maybe that was a prophecy. Y'all, y'all better repent at the end of the service because that just came out. <laughs> what I meant to say was, you're going to be in heaven Expecting to see some people and not see them. And then you're gonna be in heaven and you're gonna see some people and you go, like, oh shoot, you got, you made it up in here. All right, cuz. All right, cousin. I'm telling you, there are gonna be some preachers in hell and some gangsters just crip walking into the pearly gates. Like, my mama prayed for me, cuz. <laughs> you don't know what that person been through. You don't know why they do what they do? You don't have the, 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 the eyes to judge why they are who they are and what they do what they do? That's up to God. But in the meantime, we don't remove the righteous things of God out of the word to make ourselves right is what he told Job. So why does God give us these standards? Listen to Deuteronomy 6, verses 24 through 25. And this is what I want you to take away. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper. He's trying to bless you. Come on parents. Why do you want your kids to follow the rules so they can grow up and not be crazy? <laughs> and do something well. You don't you don't want them to get good grades. For the, just for nothing. You want them to get good grades because you know if they get good grades, they might go to college if they go to college, they might get a master's degree and they get a master's degree in business, they might start a business and if they start a business, they might create generational wealth so you start talking to them about stuff that they don't understand at five so that it, when they when they're 30, they understand it so that's God. He's doing it as a dad. I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to prosper you so let me tell you the right way to go about it He gives us standards of righteousness to bless us Can I tell you some of the benefits of trying to do the right thing. Psalm 5, 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor like a shield. Anybody want to be surrounded with favor? I know I do. Favor on all sides. I just want to be walking down the street and favor just like, oh, shoot. I, I want to have favor on all sides. Surely you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor. Psalm 30, um 18 and 19, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from all. Proverbs 21, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous, this is for somebody, the righteous choose their friends carefully. Proverbs 15, 6, the house of the righteous contains great treasure. So how do we get this righteousness? In the Old Testament, you got it from listening to God and doing exactly what God told you to do, word for word. That's how you got it. But Abraham did not get it that way. Abraham got it because he believed right. And God put righteousness in his account. So if you have no faith, God is not impressed that you don't drink if you have no faith God is not impressed that you're saving yourself for 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 me. God's not impressed if you're not doing those things by faith it has to be God persuaded me and come on somebody like when I was a kid my my, my purity came through lack of options my nose been the same size since I was two your boy was out here struggling So, I can't be sitting up here talking about this person who got a bunch of girls when didn't nobody want me. That's not righteousness. I wasn't as handsome as David. Boy was struggling because he knew I wouldn't be a pastor. He put this mole on my nose in heaven. You're going to live righteous, son. I can't. Can't let you be. You got too much charisma. (laughs) I was in heaven. Being formed in my mother's womb and right before my mom gave birth to me, God went, I, I got you because you you're going to be wild if I make it too handsome. You got too much charisma. How do we get this righteousness? How do we get it? Listen to Matthew 5, 6. I'm going to leave you with this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. So you get the righteousness of God two ways. You get it by what you believe. Some of us need to believe in Jesus again. And God is saying, I will erase all of your sins and forgive you. If you just believe I was sent for your sin, I'll erase it and remove it by my blood. And then how do you get it manifesting in your real life? Righteousness, you hunger and thirst for it. You get in God's presence and you say, God, help me be better. Not help them be better. Help me be better. I want to be better. Until it gets a burning hunger. And the moment it's a hunger and a thirst. The Bible promises you will be filled. And so I want you to stand to your feet. Anybody grateful for the righteousness of God? Anybody grateful for the righteousness of God? So this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to leave. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to just have a moment with God. And please stay to the end of the service. Because I want to be able to pray for you. But. But the two ways to get this righteousness of God is to believe in the Son. I want you to close your eyes. Just be with your Heavenly Father. The two ways to get this righteousness of God. One way is to get it for free. God gives it to you as a gift. He blesses you with His righteousness. The Bible says that Jesus became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. So the first way to release this righteousness in your life is to believe that God really did send the Son to die for your sins and to recommit your life to the Lord. And then after that, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will help you have a hunger and thirst for the righteousness, the character of God. So we gotta start off on that first way. The first way is not trying. The first way is not getting in your word. The first way is not doing better. The first way is believing better. And many of us in this room has stopped believing that Jesus was really Jesus, that he was the son of God, the perfect sacrifice, that his blood was shed for you and I so that we could become the righteousness of God. And if anybody in this room wants to reconnect with Jesus, not reconnect with the rules, not reconnect with religion, but just saying, I need Jesus. I need to get my faith right with the Lord. I want you to lift your hands on the count of three and I want you to lift them high without shame. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Jesus came into the world so that you may be saved. So the first way to get it is to believe. And so I want you to lift your hands to the heavens. If you're saying, I want to repent of my ways, I want to turn and I want God to help me and I want to be forgiven. Lift your hands to the heavens on the count of three. One, two, three. If you want to reconnect with Jesus, lift your hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. Come on, you can clap your hands for him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And can I tell you what God is going to do if you lifted your hands? He's going to speak to you about his promises, not about your behavior. He's going to speak to you about his promises, not about your behavior. And here's what I want you to do. Once he speaks to you about his promises, I want you to ask him about the behavior. All right, God, how do I get ready? When God started telling me all the things he wanted to do in my life, that I was going to be married, that that I was going to have kids, that I was going to be a ministry leader. All right, God, what do you want me to do? He's like, brother, I'm going to need you to put put the, the smoke down. And I was like, really? Yeah, if you want that. So I put that down in preparation of what God told me he would give me. It wasn't I wasn't trying to make God happy. God was already pleased by my faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God's gonna to begin to reveal his promises to you. And then I want you to ask him, how do I get ready? And typically it'll be a character thing. So I want you to say this prayer, say, Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. And thank you because of my faith that I'm forgiven. Reveal your promises to me and the righteousness that I need to take hold of those promises. In Jesus name, come on in Jesus name. Let's go. Give God a great big hand clap and a shout of praise. If you are grateful for Jesus, come on, you can do better than that. Thank you, Lord. God, you are awesome. Okay, listen, before you leave, if you want to be prepared for all that God has for you, and you want to get like even special messages or or or, or be involved in what God is doing in this church regarding favor, I want you to do me a favor. Text uh, this phone number on the screen, made for this. I don't have the phone number memorized, but they'll put it on the screen. Put it on the screen for them. There you go. Say less. Two words to 213-568-0505. 213-568-0505. Just pull out your phone and text it. Right now. Babe, I want you to come up here real quick. Give it up for my wife. She's a savage. Love her so much. It's my wife. I'm going to need y'all to clap a little louder than that. Come on, man. Like, like Come on now. Say less. Say less. Babe, did you text the number? Yes, I've been getting blown up with texts. We don't blow people up. We do not blow people up. It's, like not, it's not
1: a blow up. That's not a blow up. It's a come up.
0: It's not a blow up. It's a come up. Did you make up. that up? Wow.
1: I just made that up. Thank
0: you. Um, we want to encourage you in this moment in our giving. And I'm bringing you up because you're like literally the most generous person I know.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: My wife is so generous. And we want to encourage you in your giving. We're going to start doing this at the end of service. How many of you guys like the flow where we just worship and get in the word? None of that stuff in the middle. Just trying to seek God together. Um, but we believe that God's going to do something mightily through our giving. And so I wanted to bring my wife up here so we can pray. Um, they're going to put the instructions on the screen. and. I got some news.
1: Tell us. I don't us. even know if you
0: knew this news. I don't. But for the first time in church history, you can Venmo God.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> awesome. Venmo <laughs> God. Oh, help you us. You send Jesus. the Lord a little something on your Venmo. How cool is that? Make that's some cool. Noise. Okay, that's great. We love technology. Isn't that great? I thought you would be happy. Clap your hands. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Woo! I think like old school. It. I like let's go fill out the thing in the. Back you could just by be the in the door. club
0: doing something you ain't supposed to do. Let me just get my offering right now, man, because it's just you just. We
1: know people that do that. It's great. This is great. It's great. Um, it's interesting because I think that in this moment specifically, God is just confirming some things. I don't know if He's doing that for you, but I was reading this thing in Hebrews last night about Abraham, and I didn't know what His message was about this morning. And there's a scripture in Hebrews 7, where he's talking about uh, Melchizedek and how Abraham paid the tithe to Melchizedek and that how Levi, though he hadn't been born yet, had, that his tithe had been paid through Abraham because Abraham paid the tithe to Melchizedek. And I think when our, where our generosity flows from the most is when we think about the other people that it's gonna bless. When I'm most generous, it's not because I'm... I'm I'm doing it because I'm like, God, I want to sow this because I want this from you. It's, man, God, you've given so much to us. I now want to sow a seed so that somebody else can be blessed. And I really believe that that's been the heart of our church. And that has been expressed over and over through the generosity of people that come here or people that watch online. And, you know, a lot of times we do this Uh, we we talk about Malachi, we do different things, but God's word is so alive and living that I've been following the Lord for 17 years. And I just now saw this scripture in Hebrews. God does new things all the time, all the time. And his word is alive and it's living. And he just gave me that revelation this morning that I never had. So God is not stale. And I, I wanna speak to those that maybe you've been on this journey of tithing for a really long time. And maybe you're just like, yeah, this is the thing I do. It's on auto pay, whatever, whatever. But God wants to do a new thing in your life when you sow that seed today of the tithe. And he wants to give you a revelation about other people and the generations and the people that are gonna be coming into this house. So I just want, I wanna pray for you. And if you're brand new here, there's no pressure, but God wants to give you a revelation too. When I first started tithing, I had just gotten saved. I had lost my job for something that I did that was... Kind of trifling, and don't shake your head yes that 's not funny. how'd you see that? oh my god because i 'm a woman <laughs> but all I have to say is god 's going to meet you wherever you're at, so if this is new and you 're taking a step of faith, I want to pray for you if this is your thing and you 're on autopilot, I want to pray for you because God wants to give you a revelation where you 're at so there 's a couple of different ways to give, hey, if you like a check that 's awesome. if you go through the sanctuary doors there 's a thing um with envelopes and pens. You can give on push pay if you go to oasisla.org forward slash give. Um, But I just want to pray for you. And now we know that we can Venmo God. So great. Lord, I just thank you so much for every person in this room, every heart that's in this room, and every stage that we're in, Lord. Would you speak to them in this moment, God? Some people are going to be sowing a seed of faith for the first time. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them there. God, I thank you that somebody is crossing the threshold into a deeper level of maturity of what your principles say in your word about this subject. God, I pray for them, and I pray that you would give them a revelation. And I pray for those, God, that are on autopilot right now. We've been in church for a very long time, and we, this is just what we do. We know how to do it. God, would you just give them a new revelation of what the tithe does in partnership with you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen,
0: amen,
1: amen. Love
0: y'all so much. Make sure you come back next week for week three of Made for This. It's gonna be fire. I'm gonna do my best at least. Love y'all so much, (laughs) and I'll see you soon.